everyone, and welcome to the Dear Future Hubby podcast. I am your host, Teresa Reese, and y'all know how we do it. I am going to read a poem from my book of poetry entitled, A Strong-Willed Mind, Healing Scars Over Time Through My Poetry, and tonight's poem is entitled, I'm Grown. <laughs> Let's get into it. Mama told me that I would be grown when I had a place of my own to live in, transportation, and maybe a kid. Well, now I have all three of these things, but I got them in my teenage years. I still don't feel grown. No, not at all. And before you can walk, you have to crawl. Daddy told me that I would be grown when I have a man of my own to cook for him and cater to his needs, doing all of this while being his wifey. Well, now I have all of these things, but I got them without discovering me. I still don't feel grown. No, not at all. Listening to them placed my life on pause. I'm not grown. I'm still a child. So I wanted to talk about this for a minute because I know that there's a lot of things that we learn when we are growing up from what our elders pass down and what their belief systems are and how they operate in terms of pretty much how to function in life and when you're considered an adult, all that good stuff. However, I wanted to be the first to tell you, having a child does not make you grown. I know, I know, I know. People tell you, they tell you all the time, once you have a baby, you're now an adult. However, there are a lot of very young women out here in this world who gave birth to a child while they were still a child themselves. I was the ripe age of 19 when I gave birth to my child. Truth be told, I believe that because I had her in February. So I might have been shy of 19 by literally a few days. However, that didn't make me grown. It made me a child with a child. And I wish that I would have truly known what I was getting myself into. I remember we were literally at my baby shower and I was nine months pregnant. And as soon as the baby shower was over, you know, as long as people were showering me with gifts, I was like, oh, ooh, ah, so cute. You know, all that cute little baby clothes, infant clothes, all of that. It was adorable going through that process, right? Because I was getting gifts. But as the guests left the home, I literally had a panic attack. And so as soon as the guests left, I broke down, like I ran to the bathroom crying. And I remember my mom and at that time, um, the mother uh, or the grandmother on the opposite side, the father's that mom, they were like, what's going on with you? What's the matter? And I yelled it so clearly. I'm not ready to be a mom. I was terrified. As long as I literally was pregnant, as long as I was getting gifts, the reality had not sunk in that I was about to parent an infant and a newborn baby and that I literally was discovering who I was myself. I didn't even know my true identity. And here it was, I was about to give birth to a baby and had not a clue on how to parent this child. Reading books was not going to get me ready. Listening to sermons was not going to get me ready. I literally was going to learn how to parent hands on by having the hands on experience. And I remember their response and they busted out laughing and they were like, it's too late for that. 
Because this was not like, you know, where you could go and go get you Raggedy Ann and get you a cute little doll. And then you decide it didn't do what you wanted it to do. It didn't cool the way you wanted it to cool. So I'm going to take it back to the store and get my refund. Oh, no. This was a real live baby who burped, who farted, who did all of that. And I was responsible for her well-being. And to have that responsibility land in my lap because I could not keep my legs closed long enough to figure my life out, reality was now facing me. And it's amazing how we try to forewarn our children because now that I am a parent and now that I've made a few mistakes on my own and had to try to discover and figure out what do I tell this child? What do I tell my children to prepare them for what is called life? It becomes a little bit different when now you are the parent and your child is starting to make the same or similar decisions that you were making around that age. And you kind of have a preview because you went through it yourself. You might not want to travel down that road. At the end of that row, nine times out of 10, there is heartache. There's a lot of tears. There's a lot of pain. I know the love of your life is your boo. You love, you cut for her, yada, yada, yada. I get it. But at the end of the day, I'm starting to realize when we try to be anxious for those things that we feel like we cannot live without, most likely, sometimes there's an exception to the rule, but most likely, eventually, we end up living without. And so I thought about even today. So like right now, my child, um, he's older. He's a young adult. Um, His father came down to help repair his vehicle. And then his father was trying to convince me it's time to buy him a brand new car. So I looked at his dad and I looked at him and I said, "Okay, so let me just keep it 100 with both of y'all. He's on the fence. One minute he wants to be a dependent. The next minute he wants to be fully grown. I need for you to decide which way you're going to waver, son, because if you're going to be fully grown, guess what that means? That means that I literally take a whole bunch of steps back and I allow you to make those mistakes on your own for you to find your way. I've already raised you, but if you feel as if you got it, if you feel as if the knowledge that I provided you, if you feel as if that's sufficient and that you got it from here, I will salute you and let you do that. But what I'm not going to keep doing is treating you like you're a dependent when you want to be full grown. So I'm going to need you to figure it out. So I literally told him, I'm going to need you to count up the cost. So either we can do this together, we can get the car repaired and we can figure this out. If you want to take the money, if you want to buy you a brand new car, let me let me set the stage for you. Let's just say you go ahead and you get that new car. That new car is going to come with insurance, car insurance, full coverage because it's brand spanking new. Not only that, you're going to have a card note because you ain't got it like that. So, yes, your credit may be great. It may even be greater than mine. But let me just let you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth. Once you get you a new vehicle, see, this one over here is paid in full. So the money that you could be spending each month in order for you to have a brand new car, you could be saving that money right now to kind of get where you want to be. Nine times out of 10, that's why you think you're ready to move out. However, if we go down that road and you decide that you want a brand new car, yes, I'll go ahead and sell the car. You might get $500 for it because it's so old. It's a 2002 Oldsmobile Alero. So you do the math. So I went ahead, helped him out to do the math. We did the, um, the blue book value. I let him know. It says $504. Chances are it could go down. So then... I said, we got that scenario. You get your brand new car. This is all the expenses that you're going to be looking forward to. So you're going to have to pay your own car note because I'm not paying it. You're going to have to pay your own car insurance because I'm not paying it. Not to mention you are not even 21 years old yet. So the insurance, oh, Jesus, it's going to be high. Okay. Now add unto that equation. You want to go ahead and you want to be grown. So you want to get your own. So therefore, by your getting your own, you're going to get you an apartment. That means that you got to come up with a deposit. Then on top of that, because you don't, you really haven't built a whole lot of credit. So depending on what they got going on, your first month might, it might be a little costly. You got to furnish the place, right? So then you're, you got to need a budget for that. You need a budget to, but you know, to actually furnish that place. Then you got to buy groceries every month. 
Oh, we ain't got to the light bill yet. The electricity bill. Um, yeah. And rent is not just due once a month, honey. It's going, I mean, it's not due once a year. It's due once a month. So that means that you're going to need to get you a steady job. Hope and pray that you keep that job. Because if for any reason you don't keep that job, guess what? You may run the risk of getting evicted. You put that on your credit. It's going to be even harder. All I'm saying is this. It's so easy to say what we want to do when we get grown. I'm grown. I could do this. I could do that. The reality of it is the cost of living is expensive. So what I'm trying to do for him, you can call it coddling, call it whatever, but I wish, and maybe I had a, a what is it, a portion of it, but I didn't have the conversations that went with it. So I try to have the conversations with him so that that way, whenever he's mindful, I mean, that way he's mindful of the decisions that he's making. I remember when I first opened up his checking account and anytime that he wanted to make a, a like a major purchase, my whole thing would be like, I need to make sure that you count up the cost or is this worth instant gratification or do you have a bigger picture in mind? Because the instant gratification is only going to last for so long. That new PS5 or whatever, that's only going to last for so long. What are you going to do with your money? I need you to use wisdom. Over a period of time, now he has developed the, okay, I'm going to count up the cost. I don't necessarily need that. That's no. I, I want to see the bigger picture. And the reason being is because I told him saving your money for a rainy day or just saving your money and getting that habit underway. It will help you in life. Something goes wrong. Your car breaks down. At least you have a nest. If you're spending every single dime, if you're constantly, every time you make the money, you spend the money, then when chaos hits, when a bad thing hits, you're looking like who did it and why and trying to figure out who you can borrow from. But if you learn how to literally pay yourself, if you learn how to save your money, if you learn how to save up for a rainy day, not saying that you're trying to put a curse on yourself and nothing like that, just saying you're prepping for what could or may happen. It's a lot of things that we try to plan for. It's a lot of things that we would love to do. It's a lot of places we would love to go. I get that. But at the same time, it's like, what are your short and your long-term goals? One of the things that I learned, and it took me a while. It took me butting my head a couple of times. It took me falling a couple of times. It took me to have to reprogram my mindset because there was a time in my life where every time I would get my paycheck, I was trying to find what am I going to spend this on? And then literally I would be, you know, rolling in the dough on Friday and then by Monday I'm broke again because I was not taking time out to put money aside. Now times have changed and I'm trying to make sure I got 401k, I got ESPP, I got some some money in my savings account. I'm trying to make sure that things are taken care of. So that way if something happens, if life gets disrupted, I'm not pining for who can help me. I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on somebody. Oh, you mean you can't help me? I remember when you were down and out. I don't have to do none of that. Because what did I do? I prepared for a rainy day. They're going to come. So what I was talking to my coach today, and, and one thing that she was telling me, and I was so grateful for that, because sometimes you do need somebody else to help you to see what you see about, you know, what you may not see about yourself. Now, remember, I just lost another loved one. And so she was saying how she can see how I have implemented the tools that were provided to me months ago, months ago. And she was like, you're still making sure that you eat right. You're still making sure that you rest. You're still making sure that you say no. If your body is telling you this is something that you cannot do right now, you are listening and you are utilizing the tools that were provided to you way back when. And she was like, Teresa, let me be one of the people, because I know that you've mentioned it in the past that other people have said this about you. But she's like, no, I'm witnessing it myself as your coach. And honey, you are resilient. She was like, you're still sending me your weight. You're still she's like, I would have been in a in a fetal position, cry my eyes out. 
Now, don't get me wrong. I've been in a fetal position crying my eyes out, but I've also been listening to the voice of reasoning, the voice of my aunt telling me literally, you know, everybody has a meeting. Everybody has that day. So don't like, and I know what it was. She didn't want me to become crippled. And so in the course of me listening to that, pulling from her strength in the course of me pulling from the strength of God in the course of me pulling from my support group in the course of me pulling from the strength of my colleagues, just all of this. I have literally, I believe been able to get back to a sense of I'm still healing, but I've been able to get back to a sense of, okay, Lord, let's do this. I still feel the pain. I still feel the hurt. My heart still hurts. I still shed tears. However, let's do this. Let's exercise those muscles that were way back when something new, something new that I was going to be going through this. Because remember, we, we had gotten the report at least 30 days before this happened. So that gives you an opportunity to try to get your mind right for when it does happen. Now, don't nothing ever really truly prepare you for somebody's demise. I don't care what nobody says. I do not care what nobody says. I'm speaking from personal experience. It doesn't matter if they give you an end date. When it actually takes place, It you're not prepared. You may think that you are, but you're not. Because anytime that you lose someone that's near and dear to your heart is going to impact you. If you're being 100% real. And so... I live, but I've been doing the work. I've been making sure that I do the work. I've been paying attention to my body. I've been paying attention to just everything. And I can honestly say that it makes a world of difference when you are surrounded by people that genuinely love you and that really, truly pray for you, that really, truly encourage you, that really, truly keep you lifted and that are really, truly for you. It makes a world of difference. And so... But when she said that, I was like, you know, thank you. I appreciate it. Now, this is, I'm, I'm about to share some wisdom because this is something that helped me. She said, because I told her, OK, I'm just going to be completely transparent of our conversation. One of the things that I told her was. Lord, keep me. Don't let me get emotional. So one of the things that I told her was, is that. I don't know where this comes from, which means that I got to do more work. So I'm very mindful that I'm not finished yet. There's more work to be done because I told her one of the things that I've noticed is some of the decisions that I make are fear induced. I'm going to give you an example. So I have a major loss in my family. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, you got to get to work, got to get to work, gotta log in, got to get to work, got to get to work, got to get to work. Why? For fear of losing my job. So I told her I'm constantly having a battle in my mind because I know that I need to be present for my family. I know that I need to touch base with myself. I know that I need to give myself space to heal. But then that fear will creep up. And when it does, it's like, but I don't want to lose this and I don't want to lose that. And I told her, I said, I need to get to a place in my life where I am not fear driven. So even if. I'm giving you another example. This is not what I said to her, but I'm thinking outside of that. Let's say my husband never manifests. The decisions that I make should not be for fear that I'll never be married again. The decisions that I make should come from a place of peace that surpasses all understanding. And so when you, cause, because when you make a certain, when you make certain decisions, I told her it has a trickling effect. So I said, yes, we were prepped and we were told that this was something that was going to happen. But I said, I could have, if I was not driven by fear, let me take care of this. Let me take care of that. Let me cross these T's. Let me dot these I's and make this phone call. All that time that I did that in my mind, trying to prep for my aunt's demise and trying to prep for what I'm going to do next. That was time that I believe in my heart of hearts that my family truly needed me. But I was trying to secure my future. But the reality of it is, is that anytime that you're working for someone, it's never truly 100% guaranteed security. So I literally fell into that 
out of fear. And so I told her, I've got to get to a place in my life where I'm not fear driven. Like, and I do understand there are certain circumstances where you have like, you know, your adrenaline gets to rushing and they say that that's a good thing because you end up being, you know, I get that. This was not an adrenaline rush. This is something where I could have consciously just reached out and said, I am so sorry. I cannot be present because my family needs me. But because of fear, it'll allow me to make certain decisions that may end up hurting my family in the end. And so I told her I need to do a shift. I don't know when that shift is going to take place. I don't know how that shift is going to take place, but I'm mindful that it needs to take place. So her question to me was, and this is the reason why I'm sharing. She said, what I heard you say is a lot of times when things, because it was more that I'd said. So she's like, a lot of times when things seem to be going good in your life, you wait for the ball to drop. That's where the fear comes from, right? So she said, how and when has there been a time in your life where you might have been going through something, but you were not in expectation of the ball dropping? And I reminisced, I thought about it, and I told her, I said it was my most memorable moment. The happiest time of my life is when I was self-sufficient, when I was literally, um, I was an entrepreneur. I was doing hair because I used to be a licensed cosmetologist. And I said, and I literally was focused on losing my weight. But because all of my bills were taken care of, all everything was, was handled, I was able to hone in on my health. Therefore, I was able, I didn't worry about bills getting paid because bills were getting paid. And um, I said, and I was able to hone in on my health. And I said, I had a tumor in my brain at that time. But it was one of the highlights of my life, one of the happiest seasons of my life. And so she said, do you hear yourself? And I was like, yeah, I hear myself. She said, no, but do you really hear yourself? She said, you literally just talked about a situation where you had a tumor in your brain. You were in a traumatic situation, but you identified with it as it being the highlight of your life. That same energy, however you got to that point, that is what is needed now. Yes, you've gone through trauma, but you were able to see reflecting back that you literally had a highlighted moment, even though you knew you had a tumor in your brain. And she said, what was driving you? And I told her, I believe one of the things that was driving me was that my health I knew that before I went to go have brain surgery, that my health needed to be as good as it could be to increase the odds of my surviving the brain surgery. Now, I never knew that I was going to end up having to do two brain surgeries. I never knew that the tumor would regrow years later. I didn't have any of that information. But in the little information that I knew, which was we got to get your health right so that that way we can increase the odds of your surviving the brain surgery. I went into tunnel vision mode and I made that my primary focal point. Still going through some tough times. But I still remember that as the highlight of my life. One of the happiest times of my life where I wasn't worried about being in nobody's relationship, where I wasn't worried about bills getting paid, where I wasn't worried about an employer or the lack thereof, where my health was literally my primary focal point and everything else fell into place. And so she was like, whatever your driving point was, then I need you to evaluate and see what adjustments you can make now so that you have a new focal point. And I was like, wow, that was necessary. Now, I don't know if, you know, this is your first time listening to any of my podcasts or if this is your, you know, 15th, 7th or whatever. But if you have been listening to my podcast, you will recall when I said a few episodes ago that this was an appointment that I needed to keep because I needed more tools to be able to get through all that I'm going through. I was in expectation 
that my coach had answers for me. I was an expectation that I did not have to go through this by myself. I was an expectation that although she's a wellness coach, I knew that she had the tools to be able to help me to gird myself up to prepare for the days to come. And she did just that. I'm grown. But even in my being grown, I still need help. Even in my being grown, I still need answers. Even in my being grown, I still get afraid. Even in my being grown, I still cry. Even in my being grown, I still call for my mama. Even in my being grown, I still call for my dad. Being grown means what? That I got more bills to pay. That I got more responsibilities. That I got to try to figure it out because I got people depending on me. But it never will mean that I don't need good hearted people in my presence. People that will the very best in my life. People that know how to pray on my behalf. I remember I was dating this. No, 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 no. This is my ex. This is my ex. Okay. So anyway, um, this is, I remember when I was married to this one individual. I've only been married one time. So I remember we had a conversation and in the conversation, this is when we first, like we weren't married for long, but I had asked the question. I said, if I was on my deathbed, what would you do? He's like, what do you mean? I was like, would you be the type of person? And I wish to God I would ask these questions, Jesus, before I ever said I do, Lord Jesus. But anyway, I digress. So I said, if I were on my deathbed, And they told you that in order for me to live, that you would have to do X, Y, and Z. Would you do X, Y, and Z to ensure that I lived? Or would you just be like, God, your will be done? He was like, I just say, God, your will be done. I said, so in all actuality, They've given you the instructions on how it is that you could preserve my life. And you would just walk away by saying God's will be done. How do you not know that God's will is for you to follow those instructions that I might live? But in how he answered that, I was like, wow. So you wouldn't be the type of husband that would do whatever is required to make sure that my life is preserved. I wish I would have known that before I said I do. And a lot of times what we do, we get upset with the people that we are in a relationship with because we didn't ask the right questions in the beginning to find out who it was that we were truly sleeping with. To find out who it was that we were truly committing ourselves to. We just made an assumption. Well, because I think like this and because I attracted you, surely you think similar, right? I mean, that's why we're together because, hey, we think alike. And then you find out, "Mm, I don't want to be on my deathbed and find out when it's too late. That my spouse really never liked me. (laughs) That he just tolerated me. And now it's his opportunity to exit stage left. I don't want to be in a relationship where literally I'm looking and I'm just like, you used to love me. What happened? And then you find out, no, I never loved you. I was just ready to get married. What? Or no, I never loved you. I just needed a mother for my daughter because I didn't want to be a single father. What? Or no, I never loved you. I just needed a beard. What? So many people 
go through this process of saying I'm grown and make very childish decisions. Very childish. Retaliating, sleeping with this person to get back at this person, not honoring the marriage vows, not even honoring the commitment of the relationship. And I've always wanted to know, and maybe one day somebody will do me the favor of answering that question. My whole thing is this. Why do certain people get in relationships when they really don't desire to be in one? Is it just to have relations? Because there's a lot of people in this world that that's all they want is to have relations. How come y'all can't yoke up? How come, how come you got to go and pray P-R-E-Y on someone who truly desires to be in a monogamous relationship? They don't want to deal with nobody else. They only want to be with one person. But because you haven't figured out how to operate, you go and mess up what they got going on while they're trying to find themselves. I've had too many friends, myself included, that have been a victim to that kind of foolery. When it's like, bruh, sit down. Work out your own mess. Don't co-sign for me. And so now that I'm older, now I'm able to say, no, nah, that dog don't hunt. I don't want any parts to that. You got a lot of work to do. And because I know that I'm working on me, the person that I desire to be with is someone who is not going to take me 50 steps back from where it is that I just came from. I'm I'm not the smartest cookie in the bunch, but I will tell you that much. I'm not trying to be in a relationship with anybody that's going to make me digress to that capacity. Like I'm trying to grow. I'm not trying to backslide. So once I recognize that, okay, so what you're bringing to the table, it contradicts everything I've worked so hard for. See, that personality right there would have been somebody that I probably would have dated in 1990, what? Nine? We're in 2021 now, honey. So that's why we have a conflict is because your conversation does not match up with my level of intelligence now. See, I used to be really naive and I would fall for that okie doke. But now, because I've lived a little and I've been played a little and I've done some playing, I'm starting to realize, girl, you ain't got to put up with that. For what? Being grown also means you could say, hell no. I don't want that. I deserve better. I know my worth. I'll wait. I'll keep waiting. If this is the only option that's available to me, I'll just wait. If this is your way of trying to tell me that this is what I deserve and I'm listening to your conversation and your conversation is not edifying, it is not building up, it is not speaking into my future, it is not getting me to a whole nother level intellectually, mentally, emotionally, I'll keep Waiting, waiting until I get a yes from God, because I've already seen what it looks like when I'm getting a no from God and I answer for him instead. I don't like that outcome. I live that outcome too many times to count. Hard-headed, just hard-headed. I was so, so hard-headed. People tried to warn me. People tried in their own little way to warn me. And I'd just be like, child, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't even know he loves me, girl. He loves me. Oh, my goodness. And the whole time, he was playing me, girl. He was playing me. He loves Susan. He loves he loved a whole bunch of people. I'm just saying names. This, I don't know these people, okay? But, you know, he loved this person. He loved that person. Girl, he was telling her the same thing. Probably sending a, what is it? Probably sending, probably copying and pasting the same 
text message to three or four other chicks and all of us thinking we the only one in his life. I don't watch the dumb boo boo. I don't watched certain people that I know having full fledged conversations with this person. Got this woman over here thinking that, oh, honey, I am the only one that he wants. I am the only I am the apple of his eye. And then the whole time he doing he over here talking to this chick. He over there talking to that chick. And he's over, you know, around the corner talking to another chick. None of them know about each other. All of them think that they the one. Have not a clue. And some of them, this is what I done found out. Some of the women do have a clue, but they have that stinking thinking. A part of a man is better than no man at all. That's a lie from the pits of hell. Debunk that lie. Honey, move on. You a whole you is better than a half of, of a man. A whole you is better on any given day than half of a man or part of a man. Get you right. Get yourself together. Do it for you. So that you can attract better. You shouldn't ever want somebody else's. You should always desire your own. Somebody else's for what? That speaks to whether you agree or you don't. That speaks to your level of self-esteem. And I know it because I lived it. You have to have a low self-esteem if you feel as if you cannot attract one whole man. So you'd rather have a piece of a man. Get your own. So that you can hold your head up high. That's the one thing. When you have your own, you don't have to hide. You don't have to look around you and see who's eyeballing you and looking at you crazy and who knows who. And oh my goodness, what if they... You don't have to have none of those questions, honey. You can walk with your head held high because you got your own man. You don't have to look to the left. You don't have to look to the right. You don't have to worry about, wait a minute, if you see him in public with somebody else. And if you were to see him in public with another woman, because you know he's yours, you ain't got to think, oh, he must be cheating on me. No. Oh, that must be his cousin. Oh, that must be his homegirl. Oh, that. But you're not worried because you did it the right way. Do it the right way, honey. You live longer. You feel better. And then I was having a conversation with my homegirl and I told her, I said, when it, well, we both said it. We both agreed to it. It would be so nice if women, single women, I'm talking to y'all right now. As single women, if you would hold these married men accountable, send them back to their wives. Don't flirt with them, honey. Like today, baby daddy was helping my son. Guess what I did? Called his wife, talked to her, shared everything with her. Honey, let me tell you what. First of all, let me start by telling you I missed your presence because I, I love her. I absolutely love her. And so I had to let her know that I missed her presence because I did. I genuinely missed her presence. But after we got the preliminaries out the way, girl, let me tell you what didn't happen while your husband been down here. And I'll fill you in if anything else go down. Yes, honey. That's me. That's me. You better be on a straight and narrow path in front of your baby mama. I'm just saying. Because I'm going to run and tell that. If we were to hold these men accountable, if we were to hold these women accountable, the world would be a better place. It would such, 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 it'd be such a better place. People's consciences would be clear. You ain't got to worry about taking nobody no going home and giving your wife a STD or vice versa. You got to worry about, oh my goodness, no. Be content with your own. Let the single people mingle while the married people stay married. And if you're married trying to be single, mm-mm, 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 for what? Get it together. Fall back in love with your boo. Work on your marriage. 
Y'all made a covenant relationship with each other. You made vows. And if you lied, if you really don't want to be married, can y'all just tell the truth and shame the devil? Can you just talk about it? Please, 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 please. It's just so much chaos going on. Just like this. I'm not going to go there, Jesus. I really want to, but I'm not. What in the world is entanglement when you're married? I'm just saying. How in the world does that even happen? What is entanglement when you're married? See, I didn't know. The, this is why I could talk about it. If you're like, I know she did. And girl, yes, I did. Because I done been there and done that. So I'm going to talk about it. This is where we are real and wise. We are raw. So I can talk about it because I've been there. One of the things that, and this is what I started to realize. It's like, okay, we need to start being honest at the altar. We really need to start being honest at the altar. Some of these people are getting married because they just want to have sex. And they do not want the church condemning them. So they have taken that scripture, it's better to marry than to burn with passion. And so they're doing just that. They're getting married so that they're they're saying that they're not, they're thinking that they're not going to burn with passion. And then six months to a year, maybe two from now, they are cheating on that wife. I was lusting after you. I really did. My heart was not completely in it. But I wanted to get it off my system. I didn't want to be ostracized by the church. So I went ahead and said I do to you. But now that I've tickled that fancy, I see old girl over here and we got more in common. So I want to tickle that fancy over there too. We need to start keeping it 100 in these relationships when we're courting, telling the truth. And then, okay, other end of the spectrum. If a person tells you their truth, you know, I just want you to know I'm married. You know, I'm a married man. I'm happily married. If you opt to be involved with that person, you know, I really love her. I'm never going to leave her. But, you know, you know, we don't we don't have sex no more. So since we don't have sex, you know, I'm just wondering if you could kind of help your boy out. You know, <laughs> if that is the case and you co-sign for that affair. Just know he told you your truth, his truth. So when he opts to go back to his wife and to never leave his wife, you're the one that has to deal with the weight of that. When you could have just said, thank you for the invitation, but no, thank you, sir. It's too many fish in the sea. I want to be with a single man, one that is not yoked to anybody. Period. But there are so many people that, for whatever reason, I don't know what book it was that I was reading where the guy was saying how he said it's a lot of women that feel like, as the other woman, they feel like however they serve that man is going to trump how the spouse serves the man. And so it'll make him leave her. Y'all can't even see my facial expression right now. Stop believing the hype. It's not worth it. This person still belongs to somebody else. Just let it go. Let it go. And check yourself. Because if you're the type of person that is drawn to married men, find out where that stems from. Do the work. Get counseling. Talk to somebody. Get it. Just get it out. So that you can cut it off at the head. And then... For you married women. Now I'm talking to the married women. Figure out your husband's love language. Ask. It may have changed. Be willing to cater to your husbands. Be willing to have an open dialogue with your husbands. Be willing to... Figure out where are we at in our marriage today? Because one minute he may be like, I don't too much care for that whole gifting thing. You know, you ain't got to do all of that for me. All I need you to do is cook for me. That's one minute. Six months from now, he may be like, look, your boy would love for some bills to be paid in secret, in private. Take this load off of me some kind of way. I know I told you that your checks were your checks. 
but sometimes it feels good to contact these people and the bills are already paid. Find out what the love language is in this season because seasons change. Don't assume and that's for men and women because it goes both ways. There's men that think, oh, child, she does every anniversary. That's all she wants is some roses. She could have stopped liking roses 10 years ago, but you'll never know because y'all don't have that conversation. I'm trying to help some people out. I have been married. I've been divorced. I have been single. But I've learned a whole lot from a lot of these seasoned couples. And I am trying to share the wealth of wisdom. I've read a lot because I'm not trying to make the same mistake twice. So for those of you that literally are like, okay, I'm waiting for my husband. I don't know when he's going to show up. Do the things now. If you get in the practice now, honey, as a grown woman, boo-boo, if you get in the practice now, then you won't have to get ready when he shows up. If you ain't learned how to go to Bath and Body Works or if you ain't got your own little personal fragrance and work on it, honey, because men love a woman that smells good. They just love it. Make sure you are trying to figure that stuff out. Make sure every time that you go somewhere, you know, you ain't always got to wear makeup. Not all women wear makeup, but make sure that you're at least halfway groomed. Make sure you smell decent because, honey, when you walk by him, that might be your future husband. He needs to know what you smell like, honey. And no, they may not be your natural fragrance, but they do have perfumes that will bring out your natural fragrance. I'm just saying, figure it out. Do something that's going to set you apart from the rest. Do figure it out. Pray about it. Ask what's going to set me apart, Lord. What's going to make him do a double take? What's going to make him not want to stop pursuing me? What is it about me? God, show me, show me my worth. I know my price is above rubies, but show me what I'm working with so that I can accentuate the positive and get ready for my future hubby. Show me, Lord. And then for the wives, show me how to keep them, Jesus. Show me, Lord, what do I need to do? If he wants to spend time with you, honey, cut all that stuff off and spend time with him. If he wants to watch a game, even if you can't stand the game, girl, you better lay next to that man and stroke his ego and watch that game. Figure out what the man's love language is. That's your husband. That's the person that you have committed to till death do us part. Don't be the one that causes the death in the marriage. I'm just saying, okay, I'm off my high horse. I'm going to go ahead and end this podcast because I know I probably ticked a few people off tonight and it's all good because, yeah, (laughs) I'm trying to help somebody. Help me help you. All right. So. I'm going to read a letter to my future hubby and it is dated March the 20th, 2021. No, I really do. Before I get started, I really do not intend to offend. However, these are the types of situations that come across my phone and come across my presence. And I'm trying to help my sisters out, my single and my married sisters, because men are more simple than we know, but a lot of times we get it wrong because we're trying to treat a man like a woman. And a lot of times men get it wrong because they're trying to treat a woman like a man. If we would just touch base with each other, ask what is your love language and then make it a point to operate in that so that they, they understand. I have a person that has been pursuing me literally for three years now. And I keep telling him, you're missing it, bro. Please stop. Just stop. How about this? I will help you hook up with somebody else. Because this this right here, you don't even know how to come at me the right way. So there's no, you're not even going to get no further. I'm sorry. But I'm communicating that. And if you're not willing to figure it out, if you're not willing to find out, well, apparently she's different than most women that I've been used to. So what do I need to do to get on her A-list? Because the things that you may think are required, the conversation, I hung up in his face today because you can't come at me sideways, bruh. I know my worth. 
You can't talk to me crazy. You can't even act. You can't even utter the. Uh, you can't even sound like you're about to talk to me. Like we're way back in the way days. Click for what? Why do I'm not gonna? I'm not. And then when he called, he called back. Correct. I refuse. I don't know what you're used to, what you've been used to. I will, and what it is, I am a, I'm associated with him because I feel like sometimes when people have been in certain relationships and the people that they've been with, that person maybe was just so happy to get a man that they did and accepted any and everything from that man. And so now when he meets a different caliber of woman, it's like, well, I could just use the same tactics that I did with the other chick. Cause you know, that's what man, no, bruh. Just like we all got different fingerprints, we all have different personalities. And if you're not taking the time to invest to figure out what my personality requires, you do not deserve me, period. But that also goes vice versa. If I'm not willing to put in the work for a gentleman that I may be interested in, wanting to try to get to know, if I'm not willing to do the work to try to figure out what his love language is, what floats his boat, all of that, then I'm not worth his time and effort. But we've gotten so lazy. Some people have made it just to where it's just like, mm. Girl, I didn't have to do anything, child. All I have to do is open up my legs. You see, he ain't with nowhere. That's all you got? Really? Y'all don't even have an intellectual conversation? So all you're doing is pretty much just sexing them up? How long that gonna last? Nah, boo-boo. You won't need to bring some more to the table. Because I bet you there's somebody that's in his present that's holding those intellectual conversations with him. And nine times out of ten, you're going to look up one day and he ain't going to be coming back around no more. Guess why? Because he's been holding such an intellectual conversation with old girl that now she's got him captivated. And that's where he would prefer to spend his time. I'm just saying. Know what you got. Do your best to keep it. And if you don't know learn okay dear future hubby now's your time dear future hubby writing to you on a daily basis has become a part of my norm i wonder if this is something i can keep up indefinitely remember back in the day when letter writing was the norm when you had a disagreement with your elementary girlfriend and you just had to get it off your chest or when you would record your favorite love songs and hand her the tape during recess, or when, if you earned a Letterman jacket and everyone knew she was your girl, because not only did you walk her to each period of class, but she got to wear your Letterman jacket all week long. I wonder how you will let the world know that I am your girl, your wife, your rib. Well, I'll continue to write you as long as you want. Who says I have to stop after e after we meet and say I do? I love you. Love, Teresa. So I hope that y'all have the most amazing day. Again, if I've offended anyone, charge it to my head, not my heart. I am only here to encourage. However, sometimes you just got to keep it 100. And so please do me a huge favor. Take care of yourself because there is only one you. Signing out, your girl, Teresa. Bye. Y'all have a good one.